I'm Mike. I'm Chris. And I'm Scott. Welcome to DMs Discuss, where this week DMs are going to discuss writing a one-shot. Uh, we're going to go through like setting an environment, your hooks and quests, story structure, encounter types, simple versus complex NPCs, and things you might want to build in, like uh, planning and shopping time, uh, and then uh, just kind of how you mix all that stuff together to create a one-shot. Um, yeah, I mean, I have a lot of experience with this because most of my DMing was writing one-shots. I, I never took the leap into a full campaign. And I think this is where I really I really shine because in a campaign, you know, the settings set and yeah, you can take twists and turns. You can be creative. But I think every time I sit down for a one to write a one-shot, I just draw inspiration from something one single source and and i i usually write my one shot around that so uh in terms of the first thing we're talking about setting an environment you know i might watch an episode of firefly and be like oh space cowboys or i might watch battlestar galactica and be like oh you know cylons and and all that stuff so um that's kind of how when i look at setting an environment we've talked about it before borrow 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 and uh i tend to do that with some of my one shots Yeah, I think there's very much like two ways that people will come into this. Either you have a specific setting that you want to set it in that you know off bat, like, man, I've never done anything in the nine hell, so that's where it's going to be. Or you came up with the story first, and then you have to figure out where it's best to put that story. So, you know, maybe you already have this figured out, or maybe you need to figure it out. Or sometimes my one shots stem from this. I go to my local game store, and I see a mini on the wall. And for some reason, that mini is super cool to me. And I'll write an entire one shot just so I can yes, run that I, creature. I have done that as well, where I just find a cool monster I want to run. I'm like, I want people to fight these. Let's let's figure out this, the, how that happens. Yeah, I, I've 100%. I uh, won. So Toronto D&D has this thing for uh, DMs when you're running sessions for them where you amass points. And then at the end of every month, based on the points, they do like a draw and give away some stuff just to encourage people to come and run games for for the organization. And uh, I once won this like 12 inch, like gargantuan elephant man, like anthropomorphized animal set. So it was like the elephant and then like a bunch of like lizard folk kind of looking guys, uh, like a rhino and like a bunch of other things. So I straight up wrote like uh, a Madagascar themed one shot to run (laughs) just to use those minis that I had gotten. Did your did your minis in that in that one shot like to move it? move it <laughs> they they did indeed nice. they they were not stationary nice yeah. um yeah so in terms of setting an environment i mean that's kind of how i approach it there's usually either like i either work outside in or inside out outside in being like hey there's this setting an environment i want to run like underwater i've written a one shot that was that's where i started underwater and then everything get went from there and i've also gone the other way where it's like this is a specific demon i want to run so how do i write around that do you guys usually go outside? Like, do you guys start setting first or do you kind of go? It really depends on me. Like, I, I do it from both sides, depending on which part I come up with first. Like, yeah, you know, same I've, here. I've had just like a story deal, like, oh, this would be like a really fun, like, plot for a one shot. I don't know where it is. And then also, there's ones like, I 100% know the setting off the yeah. bat. So let's talk about like settings and environments in, in your one shots. I mentioned for me, I, I had this, uh, a lot of the campaigns I played with, I've never been underwater. 
So as a DM, I wanted to run something that was primarily underwater so that I could use, you know, merfolk and mermaids and, um, you know, the, the boss at the end, the final boss was the lady of the lake. Um, how about you guys? What's a cool setting or environment that, that you've really enjoyed writing around? I know for me, uh, one that I really love that I think both of you have played a couple times is this massive maze-like map that essentially I use just to test out fighting specific enemies. And the setting of that was just, you know, it's a, it's a haunted house run by like a, a spooky storekeeper. And really, it's just an excuse for a very combat-heavy, uh, you know, one-shot session. But it's very flexible, and it kind of, like, lets you uh, skip a lot of that suspension of disbelief for, like, why all these things are there, because a lot of them may not be in the same place. Uh, so I find that one just a really fun one for just, like, hey, high combat one-shot. It's a spook house. <laughs> I think you l- you hit on something important there, which is, like, what do you intend this one-shot to be? Heavy combat or more so exploration, RP, etc.? I mean, I think there should be a mix of both in a one shot. Um, But for example, I have a one shot kind of hanging in the wings for when we need it, which the entire one shot just happens in like a gladiator arena. Um, And the actual like beauty of the one shot is some of the things that happen within different rounds in this arena. But the whole setting is just, you know, think, think the movie gladiator. You're just in an arena fighting for your freedom. Yeah, for sure. And I do something similar like what Chris said. A lot of the times it'll be either I'm in a certain mood because I've read a certain book series or I've watched a certain uh, like set of movies. And, and like you said, it's just boring from those things, but it's more like I've been immersed in that kind of world. So I want to run something in that kind of world and then I'll like pick creatures to fit it. So I've done yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Both ways. I, th- I think environment and stuff can, can kind of, you know, to go a little bit deeper, like just, figure out how you're feeling at this point in your life and write something around that too. That can be really awesome. Like, you know, if you're feeling dark and heavy and cynical, write a little cynical adventure of, you know, some power tripping um, people within a city that, you know, want to take over. Or if you're feeling super happy, go lucky, write You know, write a little fluff piece, write a little, you're going to unicorn village to save all the unicorns, something like that. Or if you're feeling like the dame walked in again with trouble on her lips and a cigarette in her hands, write a noir detective story. That actually sounds very fun. I want to play one of those now. Yeah, I've never <laughs> been into the whole like noir and the, the kind of old school detective movies, but um, I think I'm being more open minded as of late. So it, you know, playing a Sherlocky type character seems like it'd be fun. I would like to play just a perpetually noir detective who just narrates everything. <laughs> <laughs> you definitely should like just out loud narrate stuff and like we we, we can hear you yeah. <laughs> yeah so i mean you're setting an environment i think one thing we're touching on now too is you're setting an environment can really be cool in terms of what the players will decide to do with it and letting them know like yeah this is some dark citadel so your players might play kind of you know paladins and holy holy men and women and holy people whereas in a in a kind of more noir detective one shot you might see some like what is it like inquisitor rogues or some more wizards and higher investigation type people. So uh, the setting and environment can really not only shape like what you're DMing, but kind of what your players are doing too, which I think is cool. Yeah. That's definitely one thing I enjoy doing if I'm doing like a specifically a themed one shot of some kind is giving people a heads up so that, you know, they know what to bring for it. Cause I feel yeah. like, you know, on the player end, half the fun is, you know, bringing a character you've never played before and something like that. So I mean, if you knew it was a detective story, it's a good chance to try an Inquisitor Rogue or like maybe uh, Whisper's Bard or something like that, that maybe you haven't had a chance to play in a campaign before. 
Yeah, you should really try playing Whisper's Bard, Chris. I've only ever played a Lord Bard. <laughs> which is which is why he suggested you should try playing a, a different Bard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But okay. So, I mean, setting an environment, like, that's... I, I think that's kind of it. Like, we could draw inspiration from different things, draw inspiration from our life, draw inspiration from, inspiration from pop culture, uh, you know, different things you're into at the time, whether that be music, media, etc., um, even, you know, going on Reddit and looking for inspiration from other DMs can can really help with setting an environment. But let's move on to the next piece, which is hook and quest. So where do we start? In a bar. Always. <laughs> yeah, as, as we all know, there's only three places to start a quest, which is either in an inn, in a bar, or in jail. Uh, so pick one of those three and then move on. So for our next point. <laughs> yeah, I, I was, I, yeah, I was, I was going to add one more there, which would be like in a coffin, but I think in a jail also, I, I think you, yeah. In a coffin, sums it up. a fun one. Yeah. <laughs> in a that coffin. A fun one. Like, in a uh, coffin you is a fun nothing. one. You see nothing. You are somewhat restrained. <laughs> and also, what's your con mod? Cool. You have two minutes to figure out what's going on. Yeah. And, and if you ask, if you ask for Guillermo to help you get out, I will give you advantage on the roll to, to open your coffin. <laughs> so little what we do in the shadows reference. Fantastic show. Um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of hook and quest, we've talked about in the previous episode, which you uh, have listened to. And if you have not, then go back because the previous episode was creating NPCs and quests. So in terms of hook and quest, we talk a lot there about uh, creating quests just based on roll tables, based on inspiration. Uh, but you definitely... In one shots, I try to stick to a singular motive uh, or, or a singular objective, which would be like recover this artifact or um, eliminate this person or, you know, get us information about yeah. X. Yeah. And that's basically it. Like for me, I think in one shots, you're either looking for something, uh, looking for someone that's lost or like going after like a big bad to try to take them down because of something they've done. Like yeah. those are like most of what I write for one shots for sure. And it totally depends on the level you're going to write the one shot for, because if you're running a lower level quest, you know, the retrieval of something small is great, but you can run a one shot that is a level 20 epic combat. There's nothing yeah. wrong with that. So knowing kind of where you want to place that, you know, in the level range might shape the quest and the, the creatures you're using and, you know, the difficulty of the one shot. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Plus, like, when you look at getting into higher level games, if you are going to do that, you have to do a lot less writing because combat at higher levels takes so much longer to run that if you're just running a one-shot, like, a basic intro, a little bit of, like, travel and exploration to get to or find the place they're going, and then it'll basically be mostly combat. So, in terms of story structure, I mean, you know, you have that objective and there's one quest that you know, your party is set off to to go about and you have to have a hook. Like, why do they want this? What are they getting out of it? Um, some common hooks, you know, money, fame, knowledge, power, just the need to do good. Uh, what else? Yeah, I think also you have a lot more flexibility and I'd say leeway with your hooks in a one shot because, you know, the players essentially kind of have to play ball because they know it's a one shot. There is this one thing to do. And if you're like, hey, go kill this dragon, they're like, no, it's like, wow, thanks for coming, guys. Yeah, I, I think like <laughs> there the isn't notion... another quest you have ready. Like they, they you yeah. know, they kind of have to work with you in this one. So that's we... actually something I was going to bring up is something that I do uh, a lot is I'll have one setting and then I'll bring a couple of hooks sometimes so that the players do kind of get to choose. So they're like completely separate one shots or 
multiple hooks that lead you to the same thing eventually anyway um to try to gain interest from the party yeah um yeah i think the multiple hooks that lead you to the same thing anyways but in terms of if you're writing your first one shot don't worry too much about it i know we talk about railroading a lot and how railroading is bad etc and that's more so in the context of a campaign uh if you're running a one shot there's going to be some level of railroading slash guidance like okay you know eventually you guys got to go defeat the lady of the lake that's the whole point of this one shot um but you know if you're writing your first one shot when we talk about story structure and even in the last episode we touch on it beginning middle end so what does that look like for you yeah so for me um like my one shots are usually uh again like starting with the normal npc that's like handing out or presenting the party with the problem and it's usually like a there is this greater problem or this greater disappearance or something that's happening um we're not quite sure what's causing it go to this first location and then there's like a little bit of exploration a little bit of travel to get there and then they eventually will garner the information that they need from the first location which will lead them to the kind of final culmination and that can like the first place can either be just exploration or just like looking around and finding stuff. And, and uh, if they're good about it, they can like sneak around and avoid first combat. And then there's usually a larger combat that ends the, the one shot. So it's usually like you get the quest, you travel a little bit, you either fight or don't fight, but you get the information that you need to get to the final part of the quest. And then you travel to get to and complete the final combat. And that usually will take you three or four hours to do. Yeah. Uh Chris, how about you? Honestly, I'm I'm pretty much the exact same as as Mike with that, where it's you know, it's intro investigation, small combat, further travel investigation, big combat resolution. Yeah, I'm really similar as well. I tend to write mine as and I'll go into it a little bit more detail, but I tend to write mine as um intro optional travel yes no sometimes i'll just have them teleported directly to a particular area so intro optional travel combat optionally avoidable it just kind of depends sometimes i force that combat sometimes it is avoidable based on you know what the players do uh, further exploration and investigation and during that point for the exploration i like to have a few things that people can visit so you know alchemy shops and a weaponsmith and just you know something to get a little bit of rp in um you know and then after that further exploration then that leads to the culmination and you know the final kind of scenario slash boss fight um so it sounds like we all have a pretty similar structure how detailed do you go to when you're writing out your structure here how detailed how much of it do you actually plan out like do you write dialogue or I think it really no. depends. I very rarely <laughs> write dialogue. Uh, okay. Unless it's like a specific, like um, maybe a murder mystery where like the dialogue's much mm. more important, uh, where you actually have to like be paying attention to clues and like who did something. But if it's just kind of a, a general go here and eventually fight some stuff, I, I never write anything for it. Yeah. So I envy you too, because uh, I'm, I'm the opposite. Uh, <laughs> and I think it comes from maybe a lack of confidence still because I'm still kind of, you know, finding my comfort as a DM and kind of trying to solidify my DM style. But when it comes to one shots, I I usually write that kind of intro like, oh, 
you're in the city of blah 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 and the three moons are shining and there's red energy radiating through etc then you eventually meet a quest giver which i write some dialogue for like well the heart of nordstrom was taken from us and we need someone like i'll write little lines like that Mm. um just to give me a bit of it gives me a bit of confidence in like okay i i don't have to improvise everything more and more as i've started to build confidence in my dming i'm writing a little less dialogue but i still like to have particular things that um will stand out to players so for example i wrote some dialogue about uh you know well if you do this if you if you you know recognize my authority kneel before me and in that case anyone who chose not to kneel would get a luck stone because he respected the fact that they were not just bowing to authority for the sake of bowing to authority and that was written and some of that dialogue was written because i thought it was a cool moment um but yeah when it comes to that like there's certain parts of the scenario where if you guys played in the heart of nordstrom one where you had to fight the shade at the end Mm -hmm. there was a part where yeah mike you played in that i remember there was a part where you explored all these coffins i think like 10 coffins and Mm -hmm. normally people were buried with something that they found um like a loved one would leave something that had some sentiment to a person. So let's say the person was a ranger. They might be buried with their bow. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had all those coffins written out and the various things that would be in them. And they all were kind of handcrafted for each of you in the party. But I mean, that's like, that's me going above and beyond as a DM. I think if you're listening, you don't have to do that. Yeah. I like to do that in campaigns. I think in one shots, mm-hmm. like it, it's it's fun and like having those extra things for like kind of the final combat and stuff like that is fun. Yeah. Um, and I do do that sometimes if I know ahead of time when everybody's playing. Mm-hmm. Um, I usually just I wouldn't write them out. I would just essentially go through and find a list of like items that fit for the classes I know are going to be there, and then yeah. just kind of have that stuff on hand. But and, and that's yeah. totally that's optional as a DM. I mean, I did that stuff because I enjoyed it too. I loved mm-hmm. creating an item that was tailored. I think your item let you gain temp HP in bear form or, or in wild shape, but it also let you heal in wild shape too, which is normally stuff that doesn't happen. So that's I, totally I like, higher level, yeah. I like kind of bending the rules a little bit in a one shot because at the end of the day, those characters are, you know, sent to the ether yeah, and it's just, you'll never see them again. Yeah, it's just letting everybody have fun, right? Yeah. So yeah, for sure. We talked about exploration. We talked about like intro, exploration, combat, etc. So, you know, the the next part is encounter types. And I think I think we touched on them. But does one of you want to kind of summarize it all? Yeah, sure. So I mean, like generally my encounters, as we kind of talked about earlier, is I usually have like a small encounter uh, that I kind of like I hide some of the monsters in it because this is the one where I'm really testing to see what the players can do, because uh, I sometimes do ingest my encounters like after seeing what the players are like, if, you know, maybe it might kill them for the wrong reasons. Uh, we're such, you know, it'll be pretty fast, but I just want to be like, okay, like, are, what's their caster's build like? How effective are they in combat? Did someone bring something really dumb and broken? Uh, so it'll just be, you know, level scaling, but something a bit below their CR that they can easily overcome. And then after that, uh, you know, the big one is usually the classic, some kind of boss enemy that's much stronger than them usually has some some minions of some kind uh that you know for me i I tend to make them more challenging than i would in a regular campaign because it's a one shot so you know 
I like doesn't matter if the character difficulty die. spike. <laughs> and if they're gonna die, it might as well be at the end. Yeah, I'll I'll add one I'll add one thing to encounter or two things to encounter types. Uh, one encounter I generally like to have in my one shot is during that exploration phase for information. I will write out a particular character, like in in the one that you guys played where there was the shadow dragon. I believe you met a priest that gave you a bunch of information on the different deities involved. Mm-hmm. And and that was pre not all of it was pre-written, but that encounter was they're going to talk to this priestess at some point because she's going to give them the hooks and the leads to actually determine what the hell it is they're fighting. And then the second one would be the very rarely used because they're hard to do right, but they can be fun skill challenges. i think they're fun i know they don't get used a lot but i think they can add something interesting yeah i think used sparingly i think they're good i i just i've i've played in games where they're not used at all and i've played in games where they're used kind of like ad nauseum and i I think there needs to be a a good balance there but in, in one shots it can definitely be fun to do some skill challenges just to let people test out their new characters and stuff like that right yeah, but I, I think skill challenges, you know, I don't like using them too much uh, in a one shot because I think they take away from combat, which I generally think people find more fun, um, but they have their place. I, and I think their place is if you think like this would be perfect for a montage, um, I, I think that's where skill challenges shine. Yeah, for sure. If you want to like gloss over travel, if you told them it's like a day away or two days away, you can gloss over travel and use that time to do skill challenges, present them with like small puzzles or stuff like that along the way that they can use their their skills to get around mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's another thing we haven't talked about either is actual like large puzzles and using those as one of the encounters the classic player skill check of can they actually figure <laughs> out a real puzzle yeah the waiting room check i've i've heard from dms and and you can use this and this is a pro dm tip Shh. you don't have to pay us for this um Look up kids' riddles. Look up children's riddles. <laughs> and uh, apparently you'll be amazed at how adults overthink some of these. So, just a little tip for you. Um, yep. I've never failed to be underwhelmed by my party's ability to solve a simple riddle. <laughs> <laughs> you seem to be very extreme, Chris. You're either like underwhelmed by their ability or overwhelmed by their ability where it's like oh you use this brush to just create a hole in my dungeon and (laughs) now you basically could travel everywhere you need to without even like you could just skip the game (laughs) see ya (laughs) it wasn't even the fact that they could skip the game it's the fact that they were wasting time thinking that for some reason there would be something 500 feet through a one inch hole inside the floor of a dungeon yeah you don't find anything (laughs) it's like yeah there's rock it's like okay I do it this direction I'm like oh boy (laughs) <laughs> this, is, this is a slippery slope you guys have a, have a lot more faith in me as a dm that i've written things outside the walls of this dungeon. <laughs> all right well moving on we have like simple and complex npcs for me i i like we've talked about it before i love using goblins and i think the perfect example of simple versus complex for npcs is like the enemies you're fighting is one example of that and then also like the quest givers or like townsfolk you run into or the other so for me with enemies specifically i love doing like basic and then like souped up versions of those things 
And then for NPCs, yeah, there's just like the guards you'll come across. Nobody's going to prepare like names and backstories for all of the guards in a one shot and things like that. So you will just have those like kind of simple people that will have a line or two of dialogue. Yeah, I mean, another DM tip, prepare backstories and names for every single damn person because your <laughs> your players are going to ask for it. No, I'm, I'm kidding, but it does happen where it's like you guys interacting with the guard and it's like asking a bunch of questions about his history. And I'm like, I this is just fucking Joe. Like, leave him alone. Go talk to the priest. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. For me, I, t- I tend to keep my NPCs pretty simple in a one shot. Uh, like I said, there are those NPCs where I write a few lines of dialogue, but for the most part, it's just like... Uh, you know, we talked about creating NPCs and we talked about like motivations and needs. And that's why I start like this guy is a dwarf and he wants the heart of Nordstrom back. And he's yep. rough and tough and gruff. And he respects that in other people. All of the and, Uffs. And that's it. Yeah, all of the Uffs. How complex do you go with your NPCs, Chris? I, I know the answer to this as your player, but I want to hear you say it. Yeah, I, I tend to keep them fairly simple uh unless like they you know like on an average quest they don't have much going on for them but there have been times where you know i've built them up a little bit more because like you know they're a key part of that quest like you know maybe they have to come with you maybe there's like emotional ties to the villain or something like that or maybe the the classic one where they are the villain the entire time which Ooh. i find is one of the the ways to actually get the time to build out a complex npc mm. uh is it they have to be recurring right because you know the two <laughs> the two t- main types of people is the people you see at the start who tell you what to do and then the guy who you kill when you find him uh so you know you got to have someone who comes back a few times if you want to show the complexity and not just have their backstory be like three pages and that characters ask two questions and leave you're like oh man yeah they don't even know about my dad. <laughs> no, I, I feel that it's uh, you know, there's a balance and it really depends what you're trying to do, right? Like in that I was the villain all along. Like, yeah, you obviously have to build that guy out because you want that impact of like this fucking guy. All right, cool. Do, do you allow your players to shop in one shots? Almost never. Yeah, I, I find where it. do they get money from? Yeah, <laughs> especially because <laughs> you know, I usually say just have whatever items you want. And I, you, I'm a fan, you know, like starting magic items in a one shot as well, especially at higher levels. Mm-hmm. So if I'm like, yeah, you get to start with like a rare and uncommon, they're like, cool. Can we go shopping? No, you already have a rare and uncommon. <laughs> like, what more do you want? Oh, it's a legendary in the market stall. It's only hundred gold. <laughs> so I mean, I mean, you know, you guys know me. I like to play devil's advocate sometimes, and I think it's good because you get d- different perspectives, and you can kind of take cherry pick from different people and take what you will from it, and kind of form your own style. But I love shopping in one-shots, and one-shots don't necessarily have to be a single session. I've run one-shots that are two or three sessions, so there might be some downtime in between, and I think the system I used, and I'd like to hear how you guys felt about it, but after exploration, you guys kind of had an idea of what you were fighting, and I basically provided you with this, you had this magical chest on you that would provision you anything from the guild. So at the end of your day when you rest, you could write all your requests down, and the guild might actually give you that stuff um and that was my kind of quote-unquote shopping um how'd you guys yeah, feel see, about I, that i did like that because you know that's a, like a planned game mechanic of you know something that was going to be a couple of sessions uh so like i think you know if you plan it out like that it is good but uh 
when I say shopping, I mean, I think of just a classic, you know, like, oh, we're in a town, mm. like what's for sale here kind of shopping. Yeah. yeah let me go I'm to Don John John's like... and throw a shop together. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah, no, your system of having like pre, like a system where the items are part of the campaign, that's super fine. Yeah. And I think like you guys have played in multiples of my one shots. I don't always do that. It was just in that one, you were kind of investigate this stuff, figure out what the hell it is and then go fight it. So I wanted to give you a chance to buy resistance potions and kind of armor up a little bit. Um, and it just fit into the story of stuff like that. I don't mind characters shopping for like odds and ends. Like if they're in the city and they want to go shop for some potions, um, healing potions or buff potions, um, or, you know, try and outfit their armor a tiny bit that I don't mind, but I, I really don't want it to be like grocery shopping. But. Yeah. See, for me, what I, what I usually do is, um, that, that first encounter where like you're testing your players, like Chris said, the first like kind of mini encounter they can either like avoid or not avoid, um, that's where I usually throw all of the stuff I want them to be able to pick up. Like if it's an item that I think they should have or like resistance potions, I think they should have going forward. It's stuff I usually put as like loot from that first little encounter that they can use going forward for the the rest of the encounter. Yeah, that's fair. I, I think that's a good approach as well. Like I, I think those are two approaches you can take one being like, because in my in my one shot, it was more like figure it out and you guys do it and then you might die like that. There was a higher difficulty in that one shot, I think, uh, even though you guys completely obliterated the boss and I didn't play him quite the way I should have. But, um, I you know, loot after the first enemy is pretty common in all of our one shots, I think. Yeah, yeah for sure. All right. Well, uh, our next topic, uh, planning time. And I, I don't quite remember writing that down. So uh, <laughs> what is planning time? <laughs> Oh, it's the time you take to think of how to segue to the next topic. Like we just did. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I guess I'll run with this. As a DM, my planning time is, uh, I'll talk about it from that angle because I don't know if that's what it means, but uh, I don't, I, I usually spend an hour or two writing a one shot. Um, I'm, I'm very much a perfectionist. I do like writing some dialogue. I do try to have a lot of things in place. But more and more as I built confidence in my ability to just improvise and go with the flow and realize that, hey, if I make a mistake, I can just spin it into not a mistake. Um, you know, I've spent less time uh, doing that. I'm actually DMing a session in 15 minutes where I haven't prepared a ton because they're uh, in class with the Professor of Chaos. So seems appropriate. Yeah, who, who needs prep for that? Uh, but I think this planning time is actually supposed to be for your players and how they plan for the final encounter of a one shot. So like how much time do you allow them to like discuss how they're going to tackle something before they just are in it? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. For me, I think it's subjective. Like if everyone's supposed to leave in an hour, you scheduled four hours and you're at three and a half. Sometimes you got to give them a nudge like, hey, yeah, yeah, you're on the right track. Just. Or an NPC just comes by and says, yep, it's definitely that way. <laughs> or the archer finally notices them muttering about their strategy in the bush and says, hey, stop that, and shoots an arrow at them. Everyone roll for initiative. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, I like to have consequences for how much time they take. Like every yeah. like five or ten minutes of like real lifetime that they spend planning for something, like up the difficulty of the encounter as they go forward because they the people that they're attacking had you know, more warning that they were coming or had more time to prepare or are further into the ritual than they would have been previously. Yeah, I, I like that too. I actually did that as part of uh, the, the Shadow Dragon stuff is because you guys uh, succeeded the skill challenge 
uh, you got some rewards there where I think you got buffed to shit by an angel or something. But if you didn't, um, if you didn't succeed in some of that stuff, the dragon would have hatched earlier and would have already prepped breath attacks as you walked in. So, yeah. yeah. Nice. I mean, planning time, it's subjective, I think. It's like, as a DM, you kind of control, like, hey, do I need to nudge our the players in a certain direction? Um, and at some point, you, as a DM, at some point, it's even okay to just be, hey, no, like, out of character, yeah, just go this way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or like, out of character, you guys have half hour left. If you want to fight this thing, let's go. Yeah. That <laughs> happens sometimes. For sure. Yeah. And then you get to the most important part, or I guess the most fun part for most players uh of your one shot which is like usually your your final culmination of the the one shot being the the combat and arguably dms i i love running that oh that final battle yeah for sure running the final battle is always fun and and, like running combat in general is usually fun just because it doesn't require a ton of prep yeah and if you want really memorable final combat encounters even in a one shot because, you know, if you're playing with new players, then just throwing something really cool at them can be enough. But um, as you gain more experience, as your players gain more experience, if you're not familiar with these terms, definitely look into them. Action-oriented monsters, layer actions, legendary resistances, legendary actions. These can really add a ton of uh, dynamic to a fight. Yeah, I'm a big fan of using those uh, for the final one. Even just like, if it's like a low level thing and the enemy shouldn't have them, I sometimes add at least like one legendary action to like a low enough enemy. So yeah, it just gets one extra attack off yeah. turn. So I'll just give a quick rundown of them. If if players are listening or people are listening, DMs are listening, and they're not quite sure what they is what they are. Uh, layer actions happen on usually like initiative 20 the beginning of a round and that could mean like you know if you're in a dragon's den uh maybe geysers go off shooting fire or if you're in uh, a fey forest maybe a bunch of fireflies come out and entangle people um things like that legendary resistance is basically the big bad failing a save and going nah it's cool i don't fail that and legendary actions are uh big bads have a certain number of legendary actions they can take per round so one or two or three um and they have various actions that cost a different amount so you know on this round um you know i use two points to the lich gets to use cast any third level or lower spell and what's cool about them is they can happen at the end of any other player's turn so instead of having like boss and then six party members go you can kind of have this thing of boss, party member, boss, party member, party member, boss. Um, and then when the boss's turn comes around again, they get those legendary actions back. I, I think that was a good rundown of them. Did I miss one? Uh, no, I think that was... That was no, old. I think you covered it. Yeah. How how much do you guys lean on on these? Oh, I use them in basically every like end boss encounter for all of my one shots yeah, even even like low level one to three stuff i i definitely try to add stuff to yeah what what you'll find is that especially in higher levels players have these spells that will absolutely disable your boss and unless you have legendary resistances it can be very difficult to actually have the fight draw out to a point where it feels impactful 
Um, normally, I will give a boss either legendary resistances or access to counterspell. One of the two. Not always, but most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Because it, it does always suck, you know, if you have just like someone in the party who has some kind of incapacitate spell where it's just like, and the boss is out of commission. Turn and on. you're gone. <laughs> it's like, well, that's what re- resistances are for. Yeah. And not always. Sometimes it's some, you know, sometimes give them that. Like, well, maybe more so in a campaign where it's like, hey, okay, yeah, you incapacitate this guy. You're out of combat. <laughs> yeah, now how do you powerful. handle him? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but in a one shot, I think you definitely want you definitely want that boss to have like a like an oomph, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think using a combination of all of those things, and then one thing I also like to do is if the big bad is like for something that's a lower level campaign, isn't a super beefy monster, uh, I will usually um, also give them like immunity to something like being charmed. So you can't have, just have your players suggest that your big bad, like fuck off into the woods and not come back. Yeah. I mean, if, if you really don't want your players to be able to take your, take your big bad out. Yeah. Immune to charm, immune to incapacitate, uh, resistance to bludgeoning, piercing, slashing that can really give your, your big bad a little more survivability. So when you talk about survivability, it's not only how many hit points, but, uh, hit points, AC. Um, I like using lower ACs because you don't want people to miss. I'd rather people hit the creature um, more often than not because it just feels good. But when we talk about survivability, hit points, AC, uh, resistances to common damage types like fire or bludgeoning, piercing, slashing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and then immunities. And like you said, Mike, when it makes sense, like this is a lightning dragon, why would lightning hurt him? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It can make sense to do something like that. Or like <laughs> the thing I like is if the party uses like exclusively one kind of magic in the first encounter and they don't kill everything and somebody gets away, then the boss will be wearing like a ring of fire resist or something because he knew that the party like roasted everybody else that they came across. Yeah. So I like like using that information against them if they get away. Yeah, I like that. Chris, what do you do? Uh, what do you do to beef up your your big bads well generally you know it's similar things to you guys also sometimes i'll just like up their hp via buffer i know recently in a campaign like for one of the big bads i just took a, a helmed horror and gave it 20 extra health but lowered its ac and just changed it to a large creature to make it like a giant armor construct yeah and it, it straight up almost murdered us yeah okay, well that's because you guys are all casters and one of you doesn't fight so I, another <laughs> <laughs> another another technique if you if you're finding that your party is just slaying your monsters or your big bads way too quick in one shots is uh give them a way to heal themselves or give them some uh some lesser minions around them that can do some healing or uh provide temporary hit points in some fashion you know some you're, you're fighting a goblin tribe and maybe the the goblins can war cry if they roll above a 10 and that gives yeah. everyone in the area, you know, D6 temp HP. That could really Yeah, just make give, the, give them a pocket Twilight Cleric. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Twilight Cleric's <laughs> fucking broken, but we'll not go there this episode. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we've covered a lot of topics in terms of writing a one-shot. And I think with the information in the session, I believe people could take this and write their own. Yeah, absolutely. Like we said, draw from whatever you want. Make sure, you, like, hooks don't really matter all that much in a one-shot because... Your players are there to play a one-shot. They know it's a one-shot. They're going to basically do what you tell them to do. 
So yeah. How do you wrap up a how do you wrap up a one shot? Like what what are the final thing for your players? I think there's two definite ways to wrap it up. Uh, where one of them is the way, you know, they defeated whatever their final encounter was, and then they have like a very brief narrative travel back to whoever told them about this to essentially pat them on the back. And you can give them the whole, you know, whatever majestic rewards you promise them, which don't matter because the characters won't be back again uh, most of the time. Or there's the other way, which happens quite often in one shots, is that the players went a lot longer than you expected. And so at the end of it, the encounter, you're like, well, you guys go back and you won. And it was a great time. Uh, this is half an hour later than I expected. <laughs> <laughs> or, or TPK. Just hear me yes. out here. Yeah. Or, or cliffhanger or twist. Yeah. Like set the stage for another one shot. I like that. Yeah. And sometimes people are like, you know, you kill this bad guy. And then as you're all back, you know, we pan back to the cavern and, uh, you know, it's that whole movie trope of his hand twitches. Yeah. Or right, you cool. look back and the body's gone. Yeah. Or even better, you come back to the starting NPC. And as you guys walk into the sunset, the camera follows him as he pulls off his face reveal. He's the bad guy. Yeah. So <laughs> just straight Scooby do it. <laughs> I mean, uh, everything we talked about here is a one shot. Now, if you feel empowered to write one and, and go and try it, if it's for you and write one and go DM and DM for random people and things like that, if you know, it'll help build confidence and, and get you into that. And then at some point when you're running a campaign, a campaign is just a bunch of one shots kind of strung together. There's definitely kind of this story vein running through it. Uh, but a lot of times each session, you know, I, I think a campaign is a bunch of one shots with cliffhangers. Yeah, definitely can be. And I've I've actually used one shots in campaigns before, like things I've written as one shots as side quests. Yeah. So they're definitely good to have in your back pocket. If you do write a bunch of one shots and you have like, say, a couple players away, you don't want to progress your main storyline. Having one shots in your back pocket is a great way to. Uh, kind of extend your campaign and uh, give your players something to do on weeks where maybe everybody's not there. Absolutely. Yeah, I'd agree. My first campaign was all one shots. That's fair. Yeah. Most of your campaigns have been like close to like mostly one shots just because of the nature of the way the guild system was working, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that was adapting the original story, which was meant to be played in like the 20 hour long sessions into. <laughs> right, right, right. So that, that was an adaption to make it work as a series of one shots. Fair enough. Well, uh, thanks everybody for joining us this week hope that you got all you needed from us and that you go and start writing your own one shot as always if you need to slide into a dms dms you can dm us on insta twitter or facebook at dms discuss or by email at dms discuss at gmail.com and you don't have to wait for the mayor to come urgently running to tell you there's a new episode out simply turn on notifications in your favorite podcatcher app and subscribe to us to get them as they as they release Hope you enjoyed the episode. As always, check the show notes for Link and other fun stuff. We hope you enjoy your long rest. 